Hi, diddly ho, neighborinos or listenerinos. All of you out there in TV land. <laughs> uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned, talk about horror movies, stay stoned at this point, and talk about horror movies, and uh, send off Betty White this episode because she just sort of lived long enough to become an American institution. I know. She's um, an icon here in America, so why not celebrate her life? Through Lake Placid. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Good excuses any, I suppose, right? Yeah. We already almost watched it the other week. Gave us a good excuse to actually pop it on. Before we get to that point, we need to get to our green hits. Start getting a little bit more THC in our bodies in this wonderful, newly recreation, fully recreational state. Danny, what's this I'm smoking? So no surprise, once again, stopped by Flower on the way over. Picked up a six-pack of a strain I don't know if we've picked up before, but if not, I picked up a pack of Burberry. Oh, maybe once, but I don't remember for sure. Yeah, so this one, it is a sativa. The genetics on this, it is blueberry mixed with Gucci BX or Gucci OG. And with that, it is a... I did mention it's a sativa. The THC on this one over at the shop comes in at 31%. It's known for its extra sweet berry bubblegum flavors. And this helps you feel uplifted, energetic, social, and you'll have a case of the giggles. Now, the descriptor on this, this is coming from Fresh Cannabis, and that's fresh with a PH. The descriptor on this says it's frostier than a snowman, mm-hmm. will leave you happy, talkative, and energetic. And the top three terpenes, you'll get beta-caryophyllene, limonene, and myrcene. Oh, yeah. I decided to go see how things were going down at Top Shelf for myself for bringing you this, Jay, this time. And they were sold out of almost everything. That's, I mean, honestly, that's a good thing. Yeah. Considering. It's a little annoying. Right. I agree with that. But that's a good sign, though, that those shops are getting shopped. They have some stuff set aside just for medical, like some of the super extra strength edibles and shit. And then they had like some flour and like, I got some of their last J's. I don't blame you. They had some blunts, but eh, I wasn't impressed with their blunts last time I got them. Anyway, uh, so I brought you some Dosey Dose. Been a while since we've had that, I think, on the show. It is a indica dominant hybrid bred from. OGKB, o- yeah, OGKB, which is a phenotype of Girl Scout cookies, and Face Off OG. Nice. And a little bit more on the sweet and earthy side, especially coming from Top Shelf, a little bit stonier. But there you go, some dosy does. And with that, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. You could have been listening to this last week. That's right. At I'm the already, lowest I'm tier. Already at the lowest tier for a dollar. Um, some good shit. Yeah, go check it out. And like at the highest tier, we got other shit. And we'll do other shit once people start signing up. Of course. You know, we've got Discord. We've got ways of getting stickers. I know we've talked about before. So, you know, there's different benefits at different levels. And we just really appreciate it. Absolutely. With that being said, let's get into the guts and bolts of Lake Placid. Guts and Bolts. All right. Lake Placid, Guts and Bolts, who and what went into the making of this movie? Spoiler free. Start off with a setup. There's been animal attacks on humans. 
on a lake in Maine. They find part of a tooth. Got to figure out what the tooth belongs to. Spoiler, because I'm pretty sure it was given away in all the marketing. Giant crocodile. Yeah, it's even on the brick and post, I believe. Yeah. So that's pretty obvious. Okay, so yeah. From week to week, we do like to talk about the cast and crew. And this week, we've got, man, quite a cast and crew. Because once we start listing these people off, the credits are freaking enormous and pretty impressive. So with that being said, I'm going to start off with director Steve Miner. Now, a few things of note for him. He is very, very active, or at least he was, in the horror community because he helped direct Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3. Okay. That's 1981 and 82. He's also the director of House from 1985. Here's a film we actually brought up when we talked about C. Thomas Howell back when we did the yeah, jerk. Yeah, yeah. Soul Man? Soul Man. I'm like, holy shit, he's the director of Soul Man? <laughs> yeah, dude. He's also the director of Warlock, another horror film, the film Forever Young, which is pretty wild, the film Big Bully. It's actually a really good film, mm. man. Uh, Rick Moranis. Tom Arnold, that was actually a good one. He's the director of Halloween H20, 20 years later, Day of the Dead from 2008. And um, let's see here, he's done quite a few things in television, actually. He's helped with six episodes of The Wonder Years from 1988 through 89. He's also done such things as The Dawson's Creek. Ooh, The Dawson's. Yeah, he was a producer and director back in 1998 on that. Some people might know him for his work on Felicity, the television series. He's helped on Smallville, the television series back in 2002. Just quite a few things, man. Eureka, Psych, North Shore, Jake 2.0, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's cool seeing him on this. All right, moving forward, we have writer David E. Kelly. This gentleman, some people might know him because he is actually married to Michelle Pfeiffer, which is really cool. But... He's also known for being the creator of Doogie Hauser, MD, Picket Fences, Chicago Hope, The Practice, Alec McBeal, Boston Public, Boston Legal, Harry's Law, Goliath, Big Little Lies, Mr. Mercedes, Big Sky, and Nine Perfect Strangers. And he is, in fact, himself a former attorney. That is crazy. And it makes sense why they set this film in Maine, because he is originally from Maine. Hmm. So... It's not just chance or happenstance. (laughs) All right. Moving forward, we have two editors. One we've actually talked about before, but we've got Marshall Harvey and Paul Hirsch. Marshall Harvey, this gentleman's got some really cool works. Going back in the 80s, I'll start off with The Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982. He's also helped on a film I don't know how many times I watched as a kid, but if you've ever seen Ernest Goes to Camp, he helped with that. He's also the editor on the 1989 film, one I highly recommend, The Burbs. We talked about this, you and I, off mic, I think over the weekend, coincidentally enough. But we talked about Drop Dead Fred. Oh, shit. Because he is the editor. Oh. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Yeah, also editor from Big Bully. He's also done an episode of Dawson's Creek. Small Soldiers, Riding the Bullet, which is actually really cool. Seven episodes of Masters of Horror. Coincidentally, none of the ones that we reviewed. Of course. <laughs> like, what the heck? All right, he's which also. Ones? All right, he's done The Black Cat. Okay. The Screwfly Solution, The mm-hmm. V Word, Pick Me Up, Homecoming, and Jennifer and Dreams in the Witch House. 
Oh shit, he did Jennifer? Yeah, which is Dario's and Dreams in the Witch House is a uh, Lovecraft uh, adaptation. Right, right, right. And I believe that was Gordon, Stuart Gordon's. Oh, that, that would uh, make, make sense because uh, Ezra Godden. Oh, is in Dreams in of it. the Witch House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty good. All right. He's also helped with Fear Itself, which was the NBC version of this uh, Masters of Horror, which was a bit of in season mm. three. But anyway, because it changed networks. Uh, he's helped on Dracula 3D, Island of Witches. He's done all kinds of cool stuff, man. He's got a couple of uh, projects from last year, just a couple of shorts, a couple of Christmas things. So, yeah, cool works. And the gentleman I said we've talked about before, Paul Hirsch. Reason why is because he was the editor for Carrie. Oh. We did that back on episode 183. Oh, yeah. which is, he won an Academy Award for co-editing Star Wars. Right. Uh <laughs> Quite a few of them, actually. A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back. He helped on the Crate segment of Creep Show, the movie. He helped on Footloose, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Steel Magnolias, Dutch. Man, I really like that film. Uh, Raising Cain. Did I say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Oh, shit. The 1996 Mission Impossible. Mighty Joe Young, Mission to Mars. He did, Mighty Joe Bong? I, yeah, no, right? Shit. <laughs> Ray, he's also helped on... Uh, I was just thinking about Ray the other day. What a fucking great biopic. That really is, man. <laughs> Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, The Mummy from 2017, and Warcraft from 2016. Ooh. All right. We've got music composed by John Ottman. Now, another one of those guys. He's got some critically acclaimed films because check this out. Let's go back to 1995. For me, that was kind of a memorable year, but we're not here for me. We're here for Mr. Ottman because he actually composed the music for The Usual Suspects. All right. All right? right. He went on to compose the music for The Cable Guy from 1996. He also helped on Halloween H2O 20 years later. He also helped on The Apt Pupil from 1998. Urban Legend Final Cut. Bubble Boy, Eight Leg oh, yeah. Freaks. Looks like uh, he worked with Brian Singer a lot. Ah, yeah, I started noticing that with these X2 films. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> uh, House of Wax, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, Fantastic Four, Superman Returns, The Invasion, Valkyrie. I mean, tons of shit, man. Uh, Jack the Giant Slayer. I know I'm skipping over several things, but just... A few things popping out. And I guess more recently, he's done some thing for Tampa Theater and the Gifted Television Series. So, good on him. Oh, I got to mention this. Oh, yeah, he composed sure. the music for the PC game adaptation of the Harlan Ellison short story, I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream, which is one of the most horrifying things I have ever read in my entire life. No kidding. That's really awesome, dude. Huh. Interesting. Awesome. Go wow. read it. I have no mouth and I must scream. Man, that would be terrifying. All right. This was produced by David E. Kelly and Michael Pressman. The production companies were Fox 2000 Pictures, Phoenix Pictures, and Rocking Chair Productions. The distributor was Fox 2000 Pictures for the 1999 United States theatrical release. It had a release date here in the States on July 16th, 1999. Had an estimated budget of about $35 million, and it grossed $56.9 million. In the tagline I have, there were two taglines, but I actually like this one a lot better, was part mystery, part thriller, parts missing. Okay. Okay. And I was like, all right, that's kind of clever. I like that one. Not great, but not bad either. Not bad. <laughs> 
right, so with that being said, I'm gonna move into our cast, and we have a star-studded cast, if you wanna label it that way. The way I'm gonna word this might bleed over into some of my feelings in the next section, but how the fuck does this movie get this cast? With Fox, yo. All right, yeah. I, I guess. guess, I but I don't know. They put up some money. Yeah. $35 million is nothing to sneeze at for 1999. Quite a substantial yeah, it's still that budget. 90s money. Yeah, it's, it's that 90s money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, even though if you're going to go by the Wikipedia, I'm going to lead off with Betty White. Okay. For yeah. obvious reasons. All right, so she plays the role of Mrs. Dolores Bickerman. And with that being said... Let's go a little bit back with Betty because she goes way back, right? From as early as 1945 where she did Time to Kill. It was a short film. I know she did a few things in the 50s and 60s. And then she became what's considered as the queen of game shows, Mm. which is really interesting. I think with Password and a few other shows back then. And then she made a return to television with like Mama's Family and, of course, the Golden Girls and things like that. And then she came back to film, and she did some really cool things, such things that include Dennis the Menace Strikes Again. Uh, that was back in 98. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, she I was, saw that. Yeah, she was in Tom Sawyer. Well, actually, she voiced Aunt Polly and Tom Sawyer back in 2000. She also voiced Grandma Sophie in The Wild Thornberries, The Origin of Donnie oh, I'm movie. Nigel Thornberry. Yeah, this is really cool. She played herself in Your Mommy Kills Animals. Uh, she voiced Yoshi and Ponyo. It's really yeah. interesting, man. She voiced uh, Grammy Norma in The Lorax. Okay. She voices Bitey White in Toy Story 4. Yep. <laughs> this is really neat. I've already mentioned some television stuff. I mean, just good grief. Yeah, she actually had 46 episodes as Sue Ann Nivens in the Mary Tyler Moore show Yep, back in the 70s. So that she was, that was, was a, a big one. I was about to say, she was, uh, I watched a shit ton of the Mary Tyler Moore show. She was actually a replacement character. Oh, that's right. One of the other like mainstay characters left and they brought the Sue character in to sort of fill that, that gotcha. void. Huh. That's really neat. Yeah, she had a recurring role for four episodes in that 70s show. As Bay Sergitson. It was actually pretty neat. Yeah, she was also in Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, she was in a bunch of stuff. I mean, we'd be here all day, but... Episode of Community, for sure. Yeah. My Name is Earl, which is really neat. I can love My Name is Earl. Yeah. A ton of stuff, man. 30 Rock, Pound Puppies. <laughs> what the heck? SpongeBob SquarePants was really neat. Yeah. I mean, she did a 40th anniversary special for SNL. Back in 2015. Mm. Yeah. It was really neat. So like I said, she did a bunch of stuff. Really cool stuff. All right. Moving forward, we have Bill Pullman, another guy we've actually talked about before, but he plays the role of Jack Wells. He's like a fish and gaming officer. But we talked about him on episode 89 when we talked about the serpent and the rainbow. Ooh, that was that long ago? That long ago. It doesn't feel like it, but when you start adding it up, there we go. And here's something. That he has in common with Montana. He was actually an adjunct professor at Montana State University, right, Ooh. before deciding to pursue acting. Interesting. Right? So with that being said, he made his debut in the 1986 film Ruthless People. And then for big fans, fans like you and I, 
we probably got our start knowing who he was back on Spaceballs, mm-hmm. like 1987. Yeah, then he went on to... Uh, Star in such things as Sleepless in Seattle, While You Were Sleeping, he was in Casper, Independence Day, Lost Highway, and then he did television series like 1600 Pen, The Sinner, and he had a recurring role in the miniseries Halston as well. And I mean, he's done stuff on Broadway, he's done all kinds of cool shit. All right, moving forward, we have Bridget Fonda. Now, she plays the role of Kelly Scott. Some people might also know her because she is a partner of Danny Elfman. Oh. Hmm. Like really I don't cool. think I knew that. Yeah, so with that being said, she is also, of course, the daughter of Peter Fonda. Yes. Uh, makes sense. Niece uh, of Jane. Yeah, which is really cool. Now, apart from all her associations with her relationships, she is known for her roles because she was in The Godfather Part Three. She was also in the movie Single White Female. Some people might have seen her in Singles, Point of No Return from 1993, the film Jackie Brown from 1997. She was also in the 1997 TV film In the Gloaming, which she actually received an Emmy Award nomination for. She also received a second Golden Globe Award nomination for the 2001 TV film No Ordinary Baby. Now, Another one of those actresses. She's got tons of roles, and we'd be here all day talking about her. All right, now here's somebody. Dude, I'm so glad he's in this film. I really like him a lot. It's kind of interesting that this is uh, our entry point, I guess, talking about him because of how many times we've talked about a film he's been in. But I am referring to Oliver Platt, who plays the role of Hector Sear in the film. Now, just a few things of note from him. I guess we're going to get into his filmography and all that fun stuff. He goes back, I mean, he did some things in the 80s. He was in Married to the Mob and Working Girl. He was also in the 1990 film Flatliners, which is really cool. He was in Digstown. Which I probably is really first saw him in Beethoven. Yeah, it's Harvey. I just saw that. That was really cool. He was in The Three Musketeers, which honestly, that might have been the first time I had seen him. Mm. Yeah, because I remember that film. He was also in A Time to Kill back in 96, which is really cool. He was in the film Bullworth, which is interesting. Dr. Doolittle in Simon Birch was another one of those films. Yeah. I remember yeah, him being in. He was also in Bicentennial Man. Now, here's a film I was talking about. I don't know how many times we brought it up. We brought it up not too long ago because of James Caan when we talked about Santa Slay. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, because of yeah. James Caan and... Everybody else. But anyhow, the film I'm referring to is Ready to Rumble because he is the king. Jimmy the king, king. Right, right, right. I'm like, the king's in it, baby. King's in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess just other couple of films of note. He was in the film Ash Wednesday, which is a really good film. Pieces of April, another really good film. The Ice Harvest. He was in Frost Nixon, another really good film. Another really good film I highly recommend. It's a comedy like Jack Black, Michael Sarah, a bunch of other people's Year One from 2009. Oh, yeah, I remember Year One. Yeah, that movie is really funny, man. He was in X-Men First Class, which is interesting. Let's see here. More recently, he was in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, where he was the voice, quote-unquote voice, which is actually really cool. Done a bunch of television as well. I'd be here all day naming him. But all right, moving forward, we have Brendan Gleeson who plays the role of Sheriff Hank Keough. We talked about him back. Shank Keogh. I know Shank. All right, we talked about him back on episode one fifty four when we reviewed twenty eight days later. Another one of those gentlemen. He's got a really cool career. I think a lot of people. Flute and Irish. No kidding. Yeah. 
Okay, good on him. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Now, I was going to say, probably, I think people more in your demographic, I mean, definitely people in mine, but yeah. more so in yours, know him as Alistair Moody in the Harry Potter films. Now, he was also in Braveheart, Michael Collins. Some people might have seen him in AI, Artificial Intelligence. He was in Gangs of New York. That's King where of I always think of him as yeah. Gangs of New York. Um, that movie's fucking killer. Dude, it was really good, right? He was in Cold Mountain. He was in the film Troy. You might have seen him in The Smurfs Part Two. I think he probably voiced some things because I could see him in like Paddington too. He also might have been himself. I don't know. He was also in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, he was in Bruges, which is another film I highly recommend. He was in The Guard, another really good film I highly recommend. He was also, I've heard that those Paddington movies are fucking magical. I have, too. I think my nephews were really big into it. I know my sister was when they came out. I've heard just, like, all ages, like, go see it because it'll just, like, warm your heart. But I, I still haven't watched them myself. I saw part of the first one. It was fine. Nice. Check this out. As far as some television stuff, he started as Detective Bill Hodges in the Stephen King uh, Mr. Mercedes adaptation. Mm. He was also in uh, Finders Keepers and End of Watch. Now, he starred as U.S. President Donald Trump in the miniseries The Comey Rule. And he was also Winston Churchill, right, in the television film Into the Storm, which is really interesting. So just a few things of note there. Now, here's somebody really interesting that we're talking about. Or here, another one of those people grew up with, but we're talking about Meredith Salinger. She plays a role of Deputy Sharon Gare. Now, some people might recognize her now because I think, I was like, I think she is the partner of Patton Oswalt yeah. right now. But I remember her because of a little film called Dream a Little Dream, starring the Corys way back in the day, back in 1989. And oh boy, if you were going through puberty back then, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, a few things of note outside of that. She actually had her first starring role in the Disney film, The Journey of Natty Gann. She was also in A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon. She was also in The Kiss. She was in uh, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer back in 1998. She was also in two episodes of The Dawson's. Back in 2002. Yeah, man. She's done several voice characters, or she's voiced several characters in the Cartoon Network, Star Wars, The Clone Wars. It says, uh, including Jedi Padawan Barris Ophi in Ioni Marcy, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, she's done some robot chicken stuff. She's also starring opposite Elias Gatias and Jake Squared, which is really neat. Actually, has Virginia Madsen in it. No shit. Good old Elias and Kateus. Jennifer Jason Lee, which is just like what? I think out of all of those, have we talked about Elias Katias on this or Elias Katias? Uh, I mean, I don't think we've ever had I mean, an not in full capacity to. Like, which is weird because we talked about everybody else except yeah. him. <laughs> Even though like we brought him up, so we brought him up several times. It was yeah. weird, uh, roundabout ways, right? But yeah, just a few things of note from Meredith. All right, moving forward. We have David Lewis. He plays the role of Walt Lawson. Who is Walt? He's this scuba diver you see at the beginning of the film. Oh, okay. Okay. few things of note from him outside of the fact that he's a Canadian actor. He's best known for his roles in Hope Island. Uh, the, I guess these are television series. Icarus. He was in the film White Chicks. He was also in a fairly odd movie entitled Grow Up. He was in Timmy Turner. He was also part of the Dirk Gentley's Holistic Detective Agency. Oh, I still need to watch that because... I've heard some good things about that. Not only have I... I've read one of the books. 
Yeah. I read the sequel. I haven't read the first one. Huh. And he was also in the more recent adaptation of Child's Play. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I've heard that's like, oh, that the movie? Yes. Yeah, okay, never mind. Yeah, that I was, was about to say, I hear that the TV show is actually really good. Yeah, that was from 2019 <laughs> that he was in, I should say, so I want to clarify that. Yeah, actually, I've heard that, too, about uh, the television series. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, we saw the previews for it. It looked good, too, so still need to check it out. That movie, though. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> All right. I have Tim Dixon. He plays a role of Stephen Daniels. He was in the X-Files television series back in 94 through 96. He was also a part of the Highlander television series back in 1996. I have Natasha Moth. She plays the role of Janine. She was like the little hot thing that walks up on the group. Gotcha. All right. Now, the reason I bring her up, she's actually got some interesting credits. If you go back, she was in Disturbing Behavior back in 98. She was in 40 Days and 40 Nights. She was also in Halloween Resurrection. She was in the film Electra as Typhoid. Some people might have seen her in Devil's Highway. She was also in, uh, I, I don't know if she voiced or she was like a live action actress in DOA, Dead or Alive. She was also in the Blood Rain movies. She was in Alone in the Dark Part 2. She was a part of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, let's see, more recently she was in Vikingdom, The Good the Bad and the Dead and Alpha. And she's done some television work as well, like Dark Angel. She was in Andromeda. More recently, she was in Fringe. All right. We have Mariska Hargate. Mariska Hargate. That is so funny, just even thinking about that. I mean, not that there's anything funny about her. It's just cultural references, right? <laughs> now, a few things I've known from her. This is actually really interesting. She was in an episode entitled... Freddy's Tricks and Treats for the 1988 television series Freddy's Nightmares, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, which I do remember that. It was short-lived, but I do remember that, okay. interestingly enough. All right, she was also in an episode of Baywatch, if you can believe that. She was also in an episode of Seinfeld back in 1993. She was in an episode of Ellen back in 96. She had... A recurring role as Cynthia Hooper in ER. I was about to say, that's actually where I probably best act remember her from, just because of how much I fucking love ER. Now, a lot of people will probably listen, and they're like, why the fuck are you waiting this long to say what she's really been in? Because <laughs> if you ever watch Law & Order, SVU, or any other whatever, she stars as detective, slash sergeant, slash lieutenant, slash captain, slash private, slash whatever. <laughs> Now, as Olivia Benson for over 500 episodes, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's where people are probably going to recognize her most, mostly from. And a few things of note from film. Uh, she was in Ghoulies back in 1985, which is really interesting. She was in Perfume back in 2001, which is another really interesting film. And, of course, The Love Guru <laughs> back in 2008. All right. Maria I've got a few other people of note, uh, three people, and that rounds out our cast and crew. I have Jed Rees. He plays the role of Deputy Burke. He is one of the guys who uh, is a victim of said creature. All right. From fucking Galaxy Quest and The Ringer. Dude, The Ringer specifically, too, because <laughs> that dude kills it yeah. in his role. Really good. Yeah, he's in Deadpool, American Made, Galaxy Quest. 
He was in an episode of 21 Jump Street, the original 21 Jump Street. Yeah, back in 91, which is really cool. A television series I'm going to bring up for obvious reasons, but if you've ever seen Sliders, it's one I'd highly recommend. I mean, it was pretty cool for the day, man, for 1996. All right, he was also in an episode of The X-Files. He was a part of the Police Academy series back in 97, really shortly lived there. Um, let's see here, just a few more things of note. He actually voiced a local population for Grand Theft Auto V, interestingly mm. enough, yeah. And I don't know, if anybody watches Pup Star, you might have seen him in that. <laughs> All right, we have Ty Olson. He plays one of the state troopers. This is another one of those gentlemen. He's got some really interesting things. Some people might know him because he plays Benny Lafitte in Supernatural. He was also a 9-11 victim, Mark Bingham in the A&E television series, or a television movie, Flight 93. And it looks like he voices Ord in a PBS kids animated children's series called Dragon Tales. He's got some other things of note here, too. He was in a 2001 movie, Valentine, which looked pretty decent, man. He was in Agent Cody Banks. He was in X2. He voiced... Storm Shadow and the G.I. Joe cartoon series like Spy Troops, Valor and Venom, Ninja Battles, stuff like that. He was also in the Chronics of Riddick. He was also in Elektra. Uh, he was in the Twilight Saga as Phil, which is kind of interesting, I suppose. And he was more recently in SWAT under Siege. And like I said, he's been in a number of television series as well. And last but not least, I have Adam Arkin. He plays the role of Kevin and he goes uncredited for whatever reasons. But this gentleman, he's actually got some really cool stuff to his name. He is known for playing the role of Aaron Shutt on Chicago Hope. He was also nominated for numerous awards, including a Tony and Best Actor in I Hate Hamlet, as well as three primetime Evies for SAGA Awards, a DGA Award, which is actually interesting. Yeah, he's been in all kinds of shit. Northern Exposure, Eight Simple Roles. Sons of Anarchy. Dude. Let's see who's Ethan Zobel. Yeah, just let's see here. Just look up through his filmography. He was another one of those guys who was in Halloween H2O. <laughs> it was really interesting. Uh, he was in the movie Hitch back in 2005. It was really cool. Uh, he was in the Nicolas Cage film Pig from this past year. Mm. <laughs> That's really neat, man. He, oh, he was in the uh, television series Fargo back in 2015. As Hamish Broker, yeah, for three episodes, really cool. He was a part of the Santa Clarita Diet television series. He was also part of that Law & Order SVU, which is really cool from 2020. So, yeah, number of things on both sides of the aisle. All right, so that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give you some warnings. Warnings, giant crocodile. Crocodile, I mean, you know. Animal attacks. Animal like attacks. There's sexual, there's some sexual innuendo. Yeah, I was going to say, it's I was going to call it crude humor, but that makes it sound worse than it is. Yeah. There's <clears throat> but like, it's also not. There's It's just mostly like implied stuff, like mm -hmm. entendres and, yeah, just euphemisms and shit like that. It ain't polite. No, 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 no. no but no. it's, I don't think, it's not if I call stuff. it crude, I think I'm, over, I'm overblowing it, saying it that way. Too. Right. It, it can be considered sophomoric in mm -hmm. a sense, but. Yeah, I think if you call it anything other than that, it's a little... Sophomore, that's a good one for it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it's, you know, it's kind of like dude humor. <laughs> no, but really, like, some of the animal attack 
like the after effects are actually some pretty yeah. good like it has some gore decent and stuff bits, and blood, yeah so. just for its moments mm-hmm. it's brief moments yeah some pretty decent effects it's just that they're few and far between i guess i agree yeah not enough to warrant like oh it's gonna freak you out i mean it might but yeah kind of soft did we say language to go along with just yeah the language a little bit maybe alcohol use not so much drug use that i'm aware yeah. of yeah cool that's about, about it, it really <laughs> that's about it let's uh get into lake placid and find out how it made us squeal how does that make you squeal lake placid man it's been a long ass time since i watched this movie i don't know about you but it's been a fucking minute i was just thinking about that before you hit record and I'm like, I honestly probably haven't seen this since the early 2000s, like ugh, 2001, two, something like that, three like, maybe. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I know I watched this on home video. This is one that I remember yeah. going and seeing in theater. I didn't see it in the theater, but definitely VHS. I was like, it was probably right around when I was like first getting into, well, not first getting into horror, but like. Like, in high school, when I was, like, starting to read some horror books again and being like, sweet, like, I'm going to go check out, yeah, if it's a new fucking horror movie down at the theater, I'm definitely going to go. That's yeah, not going to sure. keep me away. That's <laughs> yeah. for goddamn sure. And I'm like, yeah, fucking giant crocodile killing somebody? I'll go check that out. And, you know, it ca- it came out, what what year did this come out? 99. Yeah, so I was, like, 12. Yeah, this movie was great as a 12-year-old. Oh, yeah, this is a fun film regardless, but specifically, I, mean, now, yeah, I was about to say, age. now now I have a hard time thinking, like, I enjoyed watching this movie, but I also don't necessarily think it it's so bad it's good. It's just that it's more enjoyable than not, but some parts of it are really fucking bad, and especially being like, how the fuck did David E. Kelly write this movie? This yeah. is not a well-written movie. No, I think, uh, I mean, we, since we are in the spoiler section... I think for me watching it now, all these years later too, and mostly forgetting a bunch about this film, mm-hmm. was the comedy in this film. I think it was kind of like, I don't know, we talked about this not too long ago, but if it wasn't for the comedy aspect, well, maybe it was yeah. Santa Slaves, coincidentally enough. Mm. If it wasn't for the comedy aspect of it, it could have been really bad. It could have been really bad. Yeah, because it's, I mean, the the story itself is pretty basic. For mm-hmm. the most. I mean, it's, you know... It has its beats. It keeps you intrigued enough. And it. I think it, it pays a little homage to maybe some B movies from probably like the 50s and shit. Well, it's one of those, like we said, the crocodile's on the fucking poster. Yeah, I mean, it. there's nothing really And half the movie is spent with them just trying to convince the others that it's actually a fucking crocodile. And we're like, we know this already. Let's get to the fucking... Well, let's get to the point. Yeah, let's get to the point. Because <laughs> it does take forever for you to finally get to see the fucking thing and then... It gets a little comedic, and I, I, it makes me wonder how much of that was the point or its intent was just the pure absurdity of it, you know, a gator in Maine. Dude, I mean, let's be honest. This is an 82-minute movie. I think the point was David E. Kelly wanted a fucking paycheck. That, too. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense, but, you know, I'm trying to give ben- the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's 1990. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Um this is this is his fucking allegedly. Yeah, this is his fucking Jaws four, with Michael Caine. Like damn. I've never I seen kinda, it, but I've seen the house it bought. It kind of does 
feel a little. I, yeah, moments, the first jaws. attack is straight up a fucking shark attack. Yeah, I mean it really is, man. It's like it. It felt like Jaws. It felt. The editor was kind enough to give you that really quick shot of the snout, but all of the movement is what we associate with like Jaws. Without a doubt, you're seeing it from like the Predators mm-hmm. POV sometimes, but. Yeah, there was a couple of other films that it reminded me of. Maybe not wholeheartedly, but a little bit here and there. But that's nothing new either. We, we've talked about that several times. So I know that the only similarity between these two films is that they're both natural. One's a natural disaster, though, and this one's a crocodile. But I remember, even as a 12-year-old, watching this in the theater, thinking... Not even watching this in the theater, but like remembering watching the trailer so that I would want to watch it in the theater and thinking that they were still riding off Dante's Inferno high. Looking back on it, I don't know why I thought that way. Because like I said, the only thing that they had in common is that they were both natural things. But right. I remember specifically at the time <laughs> thinking like, oh, these guys are kind of just like trying to piggyback off of the, the Dante's Inferno or Dante's peak vibe. Well, you said you were at 12 back mm-hmm. then. So to be fair... I thought some other things at that age too. It's yeah. like, hey, looking back now, I'm like, hmm, that was questionable. <laughs> that was questionable thinking. <laughs> but I, you know, it's understandable. Dude. Mm-hmm. I think we, we tend to look for whatever we can. But getting back to your point, maybe a little bit too with, with the David E. Kelly and <laughs> some of the projects he has worked, like the critically acclaimed stuff he's worked on that I, around this time period. I, I know. It's not like he had let his skills go to rot or it, something. It makes me wonder too. Like, I'm trying to think, 99, how many creature feature films were there necessarily? Like, I mean, we've talked about, like, The Relic and stuff like that, you know, but really how many were there? And it's, it is kind of campy, you know? It's mm-hmm. fun. We talked about the cast. Like, it's a stellar cast. The music and stuff is good. The I mean, we've talked about everybody who's on board, cast and crew alike. We didn't even mention the fact that... Well, we didn't talk about how well they're on board. I do feel like half the cast is kind of phoning it in. Well, yeah, I I agree. I agree. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with that. But I'm just like, we didn't even mention the fact that Stan Winston, his company was on board to do the special effects. Yeah. Oh, dude, the crop looks good. Yeah, all that stuff looks good. I mean, the The CG held up better than I thought it would. For 99... We've talked about this before as Dude, well. Dude, we've seen CG from the mid-2000s that looks worse oh, than that. But, it, precisely. But some of that early stuff from the 90s, and I don't mean early 90s, I mean just the early CG, looks pretty good. And this one kind of holds up too. Mm-hmm. More than I thought it was going to. I was kind of surprised when the CG crock burst out, and I was like, oh, it didn't I don't look, hate it. It didn't look horrible. Not as bad as I thought it was going to look. So, yeah, I don't hate it either. You know what? Okay. Did you? How much did you read about David E. Kelly's writing process? Zero. I didn't okay. read anything about it. Somebody hates this man. Really? I guarantee you somebody fucking hates him because he writes all of his scripts on yellow-lined legal pads <laughs> longhand. Wow. So that means he's handing it over to someone to actually type up in a fucking script form Damn. after having to read his fucking... <laughs> Legal Chicken pad, scratch or fucking whatever. longhand. Jesus. And that's crazy, because that's... How much of that translate? Like, how much is that translate? And I don't mean, like... I mean, 
we've talked about this. One page of script is what a minute of film, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's how what do you usually? What I'm getting is, guess. how does that translate to legal pad? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Somebody hates yeah. him. I mean, not unless you really, maybe really, a lot really, of people hate him. As a, not unless you really are into that kind of stuff. That's your thing. If it's not, or oh. maybe he just has like the most perfect handwriting. You would hope, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah, likewise. If he's doing it longhand like that, yeah, I don't know. You would hope, but I, I don't know the man. I, I, it's hard to say. It's all speculation over here. God, that's ridiculous. Regardless, though, though I, that's. So I'm wondering <laughs> how much of those problems creeped in, and nobody cared enough on this movie to fix it, though. Because yeah, I see. What you mean like maybe you need a revision well, or something. Well, Gleason has some really weirdly phrased lines. There's one in particular, but I understand because it was kind of a double entendre. My first thought was in the beginning, everyone's a comedian, sarcastic. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Now, later on, he does call out a couple type of people specifically by the type of sarcasm they're using. Yeah. But that's not a sentence that makes sense. No. Everyone's a comedian, sarcastic. That doesn't, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. That doesn't make sense. And if it's supposed to be sarcastic and then, like, trails off and, like, he's muttering under his breath, maybe it makes more sense. Like, he's, like, sarcastic motherfucker. But he doesn't do that. He's just, everyone's a comedian, sarcastic. I wonder, this might make more sense, if when he did his line, he also read... Well, I don't. I wonder if he didn't read the stage directions. I wonder if the stage directions didn't have the parentheticals That's because okay, yeah, fucking yeah. David E. Kelly wrote it out longhand and somebody had to translate that bullshit. Yeah, and they didn't do a good job of it. And he read. Oh man, that a makes, whole sentence sarcastic. What? All right, all right. But, but then again, a whole. It does. It happens again. A whole sentence sarcastic. I don't know why I'm defending him. I'm just gonna play a devil's advocate here. <laughs> I'm I think just trying you to get are him a mental. That's why I'm wondering too, because if we look at it as a campy, you know, nod to fifties kind of silly creature features or whatever, then maybe some of the dialogue does make sense. And he was mm-hmm. but from the nineties, you'd have to have a lot of context for that. Because otherwise it does come off like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? His yeah. lines are weird. You're right. You're a mental. I think you are a mental. Like. Mental. A mental what, Gleason? Yeah. <laughs> you are a, you are mental? But when you or say you, you are a mental. When you are a mental and you leave it right there, that's a lot of room for interpretation. But that's, I don't know. I don't know. The writing is a little wonky. What was, and then from a guy, a guy that was a lawyer, who was writing Ally McBeal, yeah, who was writing dude. Boston Legal, it's all these shows. Yeah. If you call me one ma'am one more time, I'll sue you. And with today's laws, it's possible. Uh, yeah, she makes a good point. <laughs> she has a point. You know. Early was on. It, do you think that was him just like pranking the studio? Like I can say anything I want about the law and they're going to believe me just because I, I used to so. be a lawyer. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The humor in this 
it is on the nose and is it is silly as fuck, but I kind of enjoyed it. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie, I kind of enjoyed it. Yo, I enjoyed this movie. It's just weird talking about it because I don't have a lot of good things to say about it when it comes down to it. Yeah, but I, mean, I enjoyed watching. Like if, I wasn't sitting there like pouting while I was watching it. No, I had no, a no, fucking no, no, smile no, on no. my face. Oliver Platt and fucking Betty White steal oh, the fucking movie. Oliver Platt. As soon as he he arrives, it's like he he changes the whole way the movie plays out. Yes, his oh, whole he dynamic. Was a fucking godsend to this movie. If you took him out of the film, it would not be the same film. Him, you're right, and Betty White. If you put two different character or actors, and that's not a disgrace to any other other actors. I just don't think they have the same performance, no, nah. and energy that they bring. Holman <clears throat> seemed pretty low energy for this. He felt kind of sedated for this film, didn't he? <laughs> like, he didn't really emote a lot. He didn't really no. do a lot. He just kind of a standby in this one. Yeah. She was fine. Yeah, Bridget Fonda. Her, she had her moments, but mm-hmm. once again, it was just like, ah, uh, you know, for, I think maybe for her, her pedigree too, it was like, uh, I don't know. There, there are certain films, you know, in everybody's catalog that's not always the best. This isn't her best, but it's not mm-hmm. bad either. As far as performances, she has a couple of lines. Well, actually, one thing I did want to bring up was one of her like early moments that she has with uh, Bill Pullman and Brendan Gleeson's when they're on the boat and they come across that freaking moose head. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he slings it all on board and she's like, oh, she's over the top with it. And she keeps slapping him. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is. Yeah, that was that was good. It's one of those mm-hmm. comedic things that you would have seen back when. That mm-hmm. they're interjecting now, it may feel a little out of frame or out of context, but it's still funny. It's still like what? What is she? She's being over dramatic. I mean, past Platt and White, Gleason's probably the best. Yeah. Even though I was making fun of his lines, that's not his fault. <laughs> it's not his fault, and that's something too. I think we have to keep in mind is the actors and actresses can only read what the fuck is on the pages or what's mm-hmm. given to them, and it's up to them to give that performance, but. It's not their fault that this is the lines that they're given. Yeah. I will say somebody should have spoke up and been like, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> yeah, what is this? Or the do they, they even care? Or what was going on? Were they really partying? Right? Maybe. <laughs> mm, I don't know. Chance to reason, I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe. It was the 90s. I was there. Not on film or on set, but you know what I'm saying. I mean... There was a good soundtrack to this, too. There was some throwbacks that I fucking dig on, like, open up Gleason on the boat listening I Think I Love You. Dude, that's a and they would, great song. They weren't even rocking the, the chorus. They were rocking the verse, and I'm like, ooh, I like this. I know the song. Yeah, and you're right. And it was just in and out. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It, it's still a great song. It's memorable. That's what I said. The score is good. Cinematography, it's good. Uh, everything technically it's sound i feel like you're right i mean it's not the greatest film ever but <laughs> no <laughs> but technically i don't think there's anything wrong with it let's see the basic overview is they get to the lake and they keep investigating it a shit run into betty white once she throws him off the trail until they find her dude her lines are fucking the great in this oh film my God. what she says early on she's like yeah i killed my husband i killed I him with the fucking frying pan <laughs> i buried him over here you don't believe me <laughs> Later on is when it gets fucking great, though. Oh, my God. She is awesome. Awesome. And I, I kept thinking to myself. This is the like, part where I had a dick. I'd tell you to suck it. She was almost Shit. 80. She was like 79 at the time. 
going on 80. I'm like, she is saying some crazy outlandish shit. <laughs> she don't give a fuck. What was, what was her line about the, I do hope they get, I am rooting for the crocodile, you know. Maybe you should arrest me for that, too. Is it illegal to wish? Was she called him fuck meat or something like that? Like, what? Hell yeah, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, I like the the back and forth between Oliver Platt and Gleason. For me, along with Betty White's, her dialogue and her antics, it was a price of admission. Yeah. Like, like I said, nothing against Pullman, nothing against Fonda, nothing against anybody else, even, you know, Meredith Salinger and everybody else, but... Those three were what kept me in this film. I, for the most part, remember, like, seeing this in the theater, like I said, like, and I'm the line that fucking stuck out to me that made me fucking roll again. Maybe you can choose the bark off my big fat log. Dude, when he said that, because he's responding to him, he's like, Brandon Gleason tells him, he's like, yeah, I brought a pork chop for good luck. Maybe you can hang it around your neck. Because he's going mm-hmm. on a scuba dive, he and Bill Pullman, uh, mm-hmm. Platt, that is. He's like, oh, yeah, that's sweet. And that's when he tells us, like, maybe you can bite the bark yeah, of a big fat log. No, that's what I'm saying. Because the next line that Gleason says, controversial now, but he asked him, he's like, is that a homosexual remark? Yeah. And that's where I was like, that could be a double entendre because I I interpret it as it's Oliver Platt's character's way of telling Brendan Gleason's character to eat shit. <laughs> My big fat log. I'm thinking he's telling me he can eat his shit. <laughs> but it also could mean he can be yeah. chewing my cock. <laughs> but I get it, you know. Anyway, it's just silly, but the, their back and forth was great. The entire film. There's one moment I about fucking lost it. The fight, the boobs? No, no. Okay. No, that was great, but the part that I almost lost it was a little bit later on the film, Platt and Gleason are kind of getting into oh, it again. Oh, I think I know. The fucking sister? He gets no. He gets ensnared <laughs> oh. in the fucking trap. He's like, I don't think we should be talking to each other anymore. And as soon as he turns around, he gets hung up in a trap. <laughs> I like that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> He's so pissed off. Says, um, I'm trying. It's anyway. When we get to it, I'll bring it back up. But that that right there alone, I was like, man, that's fucking that's classic. When they get out in the lake, I do gotta say one of the things I just they hide the goddamn thing for too long for no reason. When it flips over the boat the first time, I couldn't fucking stand that shit. Yeah. How did it flip over the boat like that without seeing anything? <laughs> we didn't see nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not buying that. Uh, the very first attack, when dude is like speed coming at him, mm. Brendan Gleason's character, I don't know if it's him or if it's just his character, but he was just kind of nonchalant through the whole attack. <laughs> so, oh. Until he brought mm. him on board. That was pretty gnar. That was crazy. But up until that point, he was just kind of nonchalant. And he's like, maybe he just needs an oar. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) No one swims or levitates towards you like that in water I've ever seen in my life. I'd be like, bro, you just turned into Poseidon? But then again, I was like, to his credit, I'm also not jumping in that shit either. (laughs) Trying to save you, bro. Not after seeing that. (laughs) I don't think so. Sorry. No. No, 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 no. But my point being is, just like, from the get-go, it's kind of silly already. He's kind of absurd. Yeah, the fucking biting in half was actually pretty good, though. Not bad. Even I mean, everything CG up to that everything. was silly, but... Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, because it's nothing we haven't seen before. The little jump scare, and then, yeah, the attack, and what have you. But then this also introduces 
our next character, we've already talked about her before, but how Bridget Fonda's character is involved because she's a paleontologist at like a natural museum. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, natural history museum in New York City. She's also happened to be dating her boss and she learns that her boss is breaking up with her because he's actually dating Mariska Hargitay's character who is friends with Bridget Fonda's character. And because of the tooth they had found in the attack, they think it might be prehistoric dinosaur perhaps mm -hmm. but she's not a field worker but he wants Primeval, her one might say yeah. you know, referencing an even worse crocodile movie oh yeah <laughs> but this this whole point being is she gets sent out in the field as a way probably to ease some of the drama that's happening mm -hmm. with this this little relationship she goes to maine and she's bitching about it the whole time Yo, she's the worst when she first gets there. Yeah, spraying raid. Just everybody has something against museums, apparently in Maine. It's like, what are you talking about? She, but it's, that's I think that's the whole point. Is she's over dramatic. Her character's yeah. over the top. Oh, I got it. Stereotypical. It was just, I was like, Jesus, but it's just Christ. the way that she does it. Yeah, you're like, wow, this is she's really lay off layering it on. Yeah. Over the top. I'm like, you would be so dead in Tucker and Dale. Oh, already. <laughs> Probably the first one. But that's essentially what you're getting. You're getting in the introductions of all these characters. Bill Pullman gets pulled in because of the attack on that fish and game mm -hmm. officer, the guy who was scuba diving. He was just out there tagging beavers, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was. So, uh, like I said, all these characters are brought in. They're going to investigate. And while they're investigating... That's when this professor, who also happens to be um, a crocodile enthusiast. That's the nicest way to put it. Hector Sir. Or yeah, Hector. Sir. Yeah, Sir. Is, uh, yeah, Oliver Platt's character. And, you know, he's wealthy, so he can fly around and have all this nice gear and all this other stuff. So, yeah, he gets brought in because we find later on the reason why he venerates crocodiles is because ancient cultures used to deify them. Mm -hmm. And he venerates them the same way hence why he likes to swim with the crocodiles but yeah he helps investigate and of course think he pulled his pud while he's out there like any of the other times he was he was out swimming with crocodiles he's like i'm gonna beat it with crocodiles perhaps man a little weird like, judge this <laughs> yeah <right? laughs> look at my eyes <laughs> look me in the aisles yeah look me in the eyes you freaking dragon <laughs> I don't know, man. It's some weird shit. Yeah, right. It's some fucking dinosaurs anyway. But we've kind of talked about the main point. It's just this from this point on, once you get all the main characters, it turns into it's just trying to figure out where the fuck the thing is in the lake, how do you draw it out, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we already said it. Like a good twenty minutes of twenty-five minutes of this only eighty-two minute movie is them just trying to convince them it's a fucking crocodile. Exactly. Exactly, because we keep inexplicably not seeing shit. We really do. We do, but we don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. We do, as an audience. But we already knew. We've already known from the get-go what the fuck it was. That's the frustrating part. It's like, it's, everybody else needs to catch the fuck up already. But once they are convinced, and the whole reveal is, let's see. Decapitation! They, well, that decapitation was crazy. Yeah. Right? That, were, that alone was like, okay, this wasn't just a happenstance. And that's where I was talking about. That was like right after when Oliver Platt, his character, was like telling Gleason, he's like, you know, the, the awful thing about it is like I'll never get to know these people. 
and Gleason's like thinking that was kind of a mm-hmm. egocentric thing. He's like, that's not what I meant by that. And you know, yeah. And like I said, it leads to their whole little like we shouldn't be talking to each other. And as soon as he turns around, he gets in that trap. <laughs> like, god damn. <laughs> If that's not bad enough. Just mad you're not at home having more time to fuck your sisters. <laughs> he does say that. The party in his shit was great. Dude, I like I'm I actually really like that scene. I like He's how like, it's, it's not like, a party. He's like, now that you're here. <laughs> well, not just that, but like yeah. when he keeps pressing on him on it, he's like, Yeah, because crocodiles are attracted to fucking noise. And I have this place all fucking trapped. So just let us have fun. Yeah, he he uh, knows what he's doing. And let me just, like, talk about this officer's boobs some more. Yeah, he has amazing boobs. <laughs> he even says that. He's like, Not gonna lie. So I think I liked Meredith Salinger's character more than fucking Fonda's. Fonda's. Yeah. I, I think she was not. more interesting. Completely understand that. Even early on. I mean, there's several lines of dialogue, like, early on in, in a scene with... I think it's right before Bridget Fonda gets tipped out of the boat, but mm-hmm. they're all out in the canoes. <laughs> and Oliver Platt, he's like, he's like, yeah, we had vigorous sex. <laughs> like, no, no we, we didn't. They never remember. I'm a terrible lover. <laughs> yeah, they never, I'm like, oh, this is where this film is oh, going again. I, like, I totally forgot these lines, man. And that's why it had me fucking dying when they were saying it. All right, this is, like I said, this is how they find out about the crocodile because they wind up getting not too far from Mrs. Bickerman's place because they find that fucking head. Right. Right. And Bill Pullman's the one who noticed Well, I think it's Fonda, too. She notices the crocodile. They both do. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, goddamn, she's been out there feeding the crocodile because you see Miss Bickerman leading the fucking cow out there. And then that's, yeah, where she has a little confrontation. Well, they know it's a croc before that because of the grizzly. The, yeah, the bear. That was crazy. Which, so here's a funny thing. The entire fucking movie, Platt's character is arguing for like, well, we got to try to keep it alive because it's a weird miracle in nature. Like, they normally yeah. don't get this big. It's living in fucking Maine. What the fuck's going on here? So a grizzly in Maine, same kind of weird occurrence. No Grizzly kidding. bears don't live in Maine. That's what I was just thinking. That. I was like, man... Those that the biggest. It's either a grizzly bear or the biggest fucking brown bear on earth. That's what I was thinking the whole time. It's like if anybody knows anything about Maine, you're not going to see any grizzly out there. Not not on the East Coast, man. That I'm aware of. Black and brown bears, yeah, 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 for sure. But like, yeah, no, that's hard. That's hard to believe. <laughs> it's hard to believe. But so not only does this lake in in Maine have an out of place crocodile. But also, oh, presumably, a fucking grizzly bear population I, hanging out. I, was gonna say, I, I know how it leads to that scene. Because once they pull Gleason out of the trap, he goes after mm. Platt. And when they come around, that's where they run into the fucking bear. And then as the bear attacks, <laughs> that's when the croc comes out and gets its ass. <laughs> you're like, oh, shit, it is a crocodile. Okay, that's... Now, that's the, one of the parts yeah. where the CG looks a little worse. Right. But it's also hilarious because of the fucking expression they put on the bear's face. Yeah, you're like, oh, damn, that's just crazy. The bear's like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> uh, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they were trying to figure out how the fuck it got there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that's when they learn about Beckerman's, Betty White's, her involvement. That's kind of what I jumped the gun a little bit on that. But anyhow. All this really leads to is like the final conclusion. Like, how are they going to deal with the crocodile now? Because, of course, it's a nuisance. It's already attacked people. 
et cetera, et cetera. They want to keep it alive. That's the argument, right? Mm-hmm. Because of what you've already alluded to. And Hector and Meredith Salinger, her character, they wound up flying his helicopter down into that little alcove. Because he's like, well, this is obviously... He's like, I fucking know Crocs. Yeah. So now that we've learned all this other information, I figured out where it lived. Yeah. Yeah. It's not rocket science to him. (laughs) But yeah, he he figured it out. But he winds up swimming with it. it. It winds up trying to attack... It's one of those scenes too with another little CG element. It wasn't bad, no, you know. It attacks no, it the helicopter. Bad. They get away. It's whatever. It's not a big deal. But then this is where he kind of offers to uh, trap the crocodile, right? And they're going to release it instead of kill it. They, or he has a plan to release it somewhere in Portland, Maine, right? And if you're not reading it right, you almost think it's Portland, Oregon. I was about to say, twelve-year-old me didn't know Portland, Maine existed. <laughs> that was that. really, really fucking confusing like, as a kid. That is a long way to be hauling a goddamn crocodile literally across the continent. I 100% told a friend that that was what they ended up doing, too. Like, I, I 100% <laughs> know that's... Yeah. Like, like, I was telling somebody about my weekend, like, yeah, I went and saw Lake Placid, and this happened, and this happened, and at the very end, they hauled across the fucking country all the way to Portland. Like what? Really? Like yeah, yeah please escort. I don't, I don't understand it either, but that's where the tank was. I understand, but I mean, think about where we're at too. Portland, Oregon makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. than Portland, Maine. A lot more sense. Yeah, I had no idea Portland, Maine existed as a kid. But yeah, that confused the fucking hell. Out. <laughs> How are you getting that shit from Portland this quick? I know that's wild, son. All right, we're actually getting close to the end of the film. What the group decide, they're going to use... Yeah, we've almost been talking longer than the film. (laughs) That's crazy. Mrs. Beckerman's cow, they're going to use it to lure the crocodile to shore so they can tranquilize it, which we've already alluded to. They're going to transport it to Portland, Maine. That's the intent. And they do. They use a fucking cow to lure it. Is hanging a cow from the fucking helicopter really the best way to do this? Maybe it seems from 1999. To me, I don't it know. It seems to me like the way that endangers the most lives all at once. I know. It's like all it takes is one bad wind or anything like bad like that. It's already used to being fed at a certain spot. Just stake it at that spot. It's going to come to it. Right. I mean, what, you know, like 1999 logic. I don't know. Kelly I mean. Writing. Jurassic Park's happened by this time. They knew to do that with the goat and the T-Rex. Yeah, I don't... I don't yeah, exactly, but... It comes out of writing, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> they wind up luring the fucking crocodile because, yeah, they got the cow in, in the position. But what happens? Of course, it falls <laughs> out of its harness, as does the fucking helicopter, <laughs> into the waters... And this whole this whole thing leads to a series of events, right? Where the crocodile gets shot up on shore. It also winds up knocking around Bridget Fonda. She winds mm-hmm. up getting knocked back in the water, which leads her swimming back to the helicopter, which leads another whole little thing going on with the crocodile and Hector and her until they all get on shore. Because now the crocodile's wedged itself into the helicopter. It's stuck. They have this little moment where you're unsure as an audience i'm going to give this movie a little bit of credit (laughs) yeah because you describing that scene out loud underscores how kind of fucking stupid it is but it actually plays 
pretty fucking liquid. Like it's pretty fucking fluid on screen. Like I was not yeah. questioning it until you said it bit by bit out loud. I mean, that's that's how I looked at it. I was like, yeah, now they're just shooting the shit out of it. But then it goes back out because it's like, fuck this shit. <laughs> and it gets trapped in the helicopter because it's like, fuck. <laughs> you know? But what do you do with it? And Gleason, it looks like it's going to end it. Much to everybody's like dismay. But then Bill Pullman enters the fray. And he winds up pulling a rifle out. And like, no, don't do it. Protect it. Blah, blah, blah. And he tranquilizes it because he's a good guy. And this is what I wrote down. I only have to look because I remember. <laughs> is at the end, you get the traditional like ambulance scene Mm -hmm. with Hector. Somebody's got to ride with him back to the hospital. It winds up being Gleason. It was kind of inevitable. And so that leaves Bridget Fonda and Bill Pullman. And they already kind of had their little... Flirty moment earlier. Right, right, right. I wrote down one of my my notes going into like a section is candor and campfires. Because... Platt and Gleason talk about their candor together. Mm-hmm. And Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda have a little campfire moment. Anyway, you're right. They've already had a little flirting. She had better fucking chemistry with Oliver Platt. Yeah, she did. It should probably I, just <laughs> it should probably just be Oliver Platt in a three-way with Bridget Fonda and Meredith like, Salinger. I'd be okay with that. But yeah, Bill Pullman is just like nonchalant. Even all the way up to the end, he's basically just tell her. You he's know, got get his own truck. beavers tag. I've been tagging beavers long before you came around, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't need no New York beaver. Anyway, they wind up going for a beer. And then this is where you get the last little bit with Betty White. Where she's raising a bunch of Quentin Tarantinos. Right. Little buttons. <laughs> Suck my toes. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> Oh, that was great. I'm glad she said that shit. I'm like, this is... Oh, that was so good. I'm so glad that she was in this. I mean, for obvious reasons, but her dialogue, her lines... Like I said, it, the comedy alone kept me interested. The the back and forth and just the absurdity in some of this stuff. It's a fun film. I was going to say but, but it is a fun film. The soundtrack's good. I like the people in it. I think it's a fun like little... Hour 22, man. Yeah. You know, that's with credits, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's like you don't have to invest in a lot of time. It's a very easy watch. It's a pretty fun little creature feature, if you want to call mm-hmm. that, you know, with a monster or whatever. But not bad. Not, I mean, not arguably great good, either. But, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's really not. We, we've had a lot of those. It, it's a fun film. It really is. I think it's, we kind of talked about this last week or maybe a little bit too in between episodes is with entry points with films, like this could be a, a fairly decent entry point for a, like a creature feature or whatever. Yeah. If you're not used to them or if you're mm-hmm. not really into them per se, this, yeah, this is a fun little film. I'm trying to think if I have anything else about this. No, just somebody definitely hates David E. Kelly. <laughs> After what you had mentioned, yeah, I'd hate to have to transcribe all that or at least type it back up. Especially, oh, like, God. if you can't read his shorthand or whatever. And you got to do it on yellow. I know. That just makes it worse somehow. I wonder if he writes, like, in red. <laughs> worse. Throw something at him. <laughs> you fucking brick. <laughs> yeah. Learn how to type, asshole. I know. I, I don't know. Convenience. You don't even have to fucking... Compose it on your goddamn phone, David E. Kelly. Yeah, and no, use the you can fucking just talk swipe. into it. Yeah, you only have to use talking to it. 
Use fucking text. Yeah, speech to text. There you go, dude. Problem solved. You do it enough, it gets better. Maybe he just needs a personal assistant. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. All those critiques aside, like I said, I, I still enjoyed it, man. I, I did. It was fun to revisit. It's been a while. Like, there were certain moments, yeah, I still remembered, but definitely a lot of the dialogue I totally forgot. And that's why I think made it a little bit more of a charm this time around. There's one part that fucking confused me. Just because I don't know why you would spend the money on this. The end credits, we see the fucking full croc strapped down on a fucking semi bed. But it's a fucking helicopter shot that lasts for like a good couple minutes. (laughs) Maybe not that long, but like. But still, for the time allotted. Why are you. Was that necessary? Why are you getting a helicopter shot for this? Well, you have $35 million to play with. <laughs> got to use it somewhere, I suppose. Like, I guess. Fuck it, why not? Maybe we got a helicopter. Wanna, they're like, we have a creature from Stan Winston. Like, we, we better show it all. Well, you know, it makes me wonder, too. Now, think about this. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was footage of them transporting it from the studio to the set. And they used it as, like, that last little footage. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was... A 30-foot-long fucking construction, so you have to haul it somehow. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to... Maybe it was just... We might as well get... While it's strapped up, we might as well get a fucking picture of it. Get some footage, because, yeah, we might be able to use it somewhere. That's that Maybe that's my thinking behind it. It, it makes a little bit more sense. I still don't know why you do a helicopter shot for it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But they did. Uh, like I said, maybe they just like fuck it. We got the budget for. I would have just sat up on a fucking like overpass and watched it come. That would have been really cool. Something. Hell yeah! I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes they need some of us. They need stoners on set. Like what the fuck? I think you are a mental what, Gleason? <laughs> yeah, Gleason, mental what? <laughs> just say it. <laughs> just say it. Say it. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> Oh, everyone's a comedian, sarcastic. I know, sarcastic. <laughs> I feel like I'm a mental sometimes. <laughs> You're a mental sarcastic. For sure. But, you know what's interesting, Tyler? We we're have, kind of on a roll here. We have next week picked out? Dude, how awesome are we? As long as... Yes, as long as everything goes according to plans. This new year or so, we'll see. You know that when we say as long as things go according to plan, we're having a guest. So that jinxes it a little bit already. I won't say the name so we don't completely jinx right, it. Right, right, right. But if things go according to plan, we'll be talking about the changeling with the guest. Ah, oh, that's going to be so much fun. If things don't go according to plan, we'll it's not going to be the changeling. No, no, no. But, but it'll, we'll have, it'll we'll probably have, be like two weeks then. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. But just know that we do have it lined up. But for this time... I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms. Out. Sarcastic. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments questions want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project you can always contact us squirmcast at gmail.com 
or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Peace.